You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Today we're closing out our series, our mini-series, titled Finding Jesus in the Middle of Legalism and Liberalism. And I want to challenge you, if you're here today and you didn't catch last week's sermon on legalism, I really want to challenge you to go back into our YouTube archives and check it out so that it balances out the sermon that you're about to hear for today. Our goal as Christians is, can we have that graphic up? Can I have the back screen on when you have a moment? Our our goal as Christians is to follow this line in the middle, following Jesus. The, the idea is this, is that sometimes we'll grade liberalism or legalism on a higher scale, and the reality is, is one isn't worse than the other. They both take us off the path that Jesus has called us to walk. Come on, somebody. Christian legalism can be defined like this, adding man-made rules, traditions, and preferences to God's law and treating them as divine. Christian liberalism can be defined like this, acknowledging that Christ died for you but living as if he didn't. Although they are completely different in definitions and and meaning, they they both, I want to catch us up from last week, they both have these common traits. Christian legalism and Christian liberalism are both supported by misinterpreted scripture or partial scripture. The reality is this, Satan knows scripture. And he knows how to trip us up with it. He knows how to get us to take one part and take it to an extreme or take it out of context. Christian legalism and Christian liberalism, they, they both are struggles that the church has dealt with since our conception. Jesus spoke continually to the Pharisees about the law, and he continually taught his disciples not to misuse this freedom in Christ that they have. Paul, in many of his letters to the early church, he was often addressing issues where Jewish Christians were still trying to earn their salvation by good deeds, or simply did good deeds out of guilt and shame. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit doesn't shame us to Jesus, He leads us to Jesus? Conviction and guilt are two very different things. Conviction says that I need my Father in heaven. Guilt and shame reacts like Adam and Eve and says I need to hide from my Father out of shame. Paul, as we're going to read today, Paul is dealing with Gentile Christians, those who were not Jewish. And they kind of, their salvation experience was like, okay, I know Jesus, but now that I have all this grace, he's not really concerned with how I live, so he'll forgive me. These are struggles that the church has dealt with since our beginning. Christian legalism and Christian liberalism are both binding and enslaving Christians, Legalism and liberalism both bind Christians. Legalists are bound by their pride, their self-righteousness, which causes them to live in guilt and shame, always afraid that they're never going to measure up. Christian liberals still deal with ongoing sin, which likewise causes them to live in guilt and shame, and neither are free in Christ. Last week, like I said, we focused on legalism. This week, we're focusing on liberalism. Now, let me just 
put out a few guidelines because I feel like we could be here for a couple months if we really get into liberalism. So let me just hit this real quick. I am not talking about the world's definition of liberalism. We'll be here all day if we go in that direction, especially given what's happened in our world this past week. There's a few stores that I'm going to be neglecting moving forward in my life. Add them to the list. That's a sermon for another day. Today, I'm talking about living like the world does and the church being okay with it. I'm talking about Christian liberalism specifically. What is Christian liberalism and why does it hurt? Christian liberalism, first and foremost, is the belief that God is loving and nothing else. And when we only see God, His only character trait, love, and we limit Him to just love, then we walk away with an incomplete view of God's character. And not only that, but we go on to live our lives with this assumption that because God is only love, He therefore approves of whatever I do and whatever I say and however I live. When we view God as only love and nothing else, we completely neglect the fact that God is holy. Amen, church? That God is holy. That God does not condone or approve of sin. And out of His holiness, a phrase that we're not used to hearing in church, God hates. God hates sin. He hates it. As a matter of fact, the Bible describes His hate, His feelings towards sin as wrath unleashed. When we view God as only love, we neglect and, and, and we neglect and reject the fact that He is holy, and that which is holy does not have anything in common with that which is sinful. Thank God for Jesus. Christian liberalism is the belief that we are inherently good. Because we are, yeah, really. Because we are inherently good, there's this subtle message that we can achieve goodness without God. Now, let me hit the pause button real quick. Because I believe that some, we, we, we will live under this burden, under this belief of, of feeling like we're really good people. We're inherently good. And we won't realize that we're living in this misconception, this misbelief, until we bring up some examples. So allow me to bring up some examples. Over the past couple of years, there have been Christ followers who have attached themselves to secular social justice movements, for lack of better terms, and they have rejected the, they, they've rejected the faith in a way that they attach themselves to a secular belief system that believes, as long as I can change my behaviors, then I'm a good person. But friend, that neglects the heart of the matter, your heart. Behavioral modification isn't change. Come on, somebody. Just because I act differently does not make me a good person. There's still a heart issue. Just because somebody says that they're going to stop doing something, does that make them all of a sudden good? I wish somebody would wake up here this morning. Come on, church. Your second service. You got more sleep than first. But over the past couple years, Christians have attached themselves to these social justice movements that have nothing to do with God. 
that's a problem. Because the underlying, the underlying message is, is that we can all just be good. Let's just change our behavior. And the reality is, is that's a vicious cycle. Because you're going to keep trying to achieve change and, and falling short. There's the belief that we are inherently good. As a matter of fact, there's, Christian liberalism has made its way even into the way that the church parents their kids or lack thereof. There's this belief that our kids are inherently good. We don't need to discipline them. They're just misunderstood. <laughs> Have you ever raised a toddler? Like, hear me out. Like, I love my, my girls. I love my girls. But those cute little things learn how to manipulate daddy's heart at one I mean, it's amazing. Nobody taught my kids how to be manipulative. They just know it. Like they learned before they're even one. If I pucker my lip and give dad a sad face, maybe I'll get more of and you fill in the blank. How can you argue that we're inherently good when we're not even good at age one? Whew. You'll find symptoms of Christian liberalism whenever Christians are focusing on the symptoms of our culture rather than the heart. Christian liberalism is the belief that we have to be like the world to reach the world. It's why we have mainstream churches in our culture now that believe that it's appropriate to start out a worship set with a secular song for the sake of, of reaching the lost and, and, and reaching the world. And friend, the reality, and if you're like, pastor, like this is too spiritual for me, you're in a church. <laughs> what did you think we were going to talk about? Like, allow me to elaborate for a moment. When worship songs are written, for the most part, the good ones, are written under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit inspiration, they're written and inspired from Scripture. And the Holy Spirit similarly, but not to the same degree, inspires the writer similarly to the writers of Scripture. Same principle, but not exactly the same authoritative. This is the authoritative word of God. No worship song will ever trump that. Amen? Amen? So if a worship leader is under the direction of the Holy Spirit when they write worship songs, then what spirit is a person under when they write secular songs? And to open up a worship set, I, I just it's hard for me to fathom thinking that this is ever okay. Christian liberalism says we have to be like the world to reach the world without recognizing that Jesus put it so clearly, you're in the world, but don't be of it. 
Christian liberalism is the belief that some Christian standards are irrelevant for today. And I want to throw this out before I start getting into this. Parents with young children, this is a mature content type of service. As a matter of fact, for the most part, Sunday sermons up here is more for adults, those who have um, the maturity to dive into some of this. That's why we have a kids ministry. I want to challenge you. Our kids ministry is awesome. Aren't they, church? Isn't the kids ministry great? Would you get up for the kids ministry? They will pour into your children. I mean, they have topics that are more relevant and geared for their age group. This up here is, as the kids tell me, big church. <laughs> big things happen in big church. Huh? But Christian liberalism is the belief that some Christian standards are irrelevant for today. This is why you'll find in the body of Christ not only those who are living together without being married, but you'll find that Having sex outside of a marriage has now become normal in the church and outside of the church. Believing as if, as if that, that God's standard has ever changed church. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What he says is. He didn't make any mistakes when he was giving us the game plan. But the problem is, is that Christian liberalism is, are, are those who have become accustomed to our pornographic culture. If I had to describe the American culture with one word, it would be pornographic. Everything in our culture is just so absolutely perverse. The way that we dress, the way that we speak to one another, what Netflix calls entertainment in a new cutting-edge series is often softcore porn. And because of our culture of pornography and our, our willingness to compromise, the church has now become accustomed to sex outside of marriage, living together, and just whatever you want. Pastor, those are old standards. We don't need them. And all of this has become so normal that we've turned back on Christian principles and say that they're irrelevant. Christian liberalism acts as if God's standards have changed based on a perverse culture rather than the other way around, a Christ-loving church displaying the beauty of purity to the world. Christian liberalism is the belief that tolerance is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong, hear me out, forbearance is, is a fruit of the Spirit, and that's a nice way of saying the Holy Spirit helps us put up with other people. Does anybody else need help with that? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. <laughs> but then there's tolerance, which says you don't just put up with me, you condone what I do and what I say. And our culture is demanding the church to be, to be tolerant, but did you know that Jesus himself was intolerant? As a matter of fact, Jesus was so intolerant of sin that he went to the cross to die so that you could get out of it. And you'll find that when Paul teaches the Apostle Paul, which let me hit the pause button real quick. We're going to be turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, by the way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
you'll find that when Paul teaches those that are on the side of legalism, bound by the law, Paul has a beautiful way of of teaching them about the freedom that we have in Christ. And when Paul teaches to Gentiles, those who do not come from a Jewish background or heritage or practice, when he teaches to to Gentiles, he talks about the balance of of not only having freedom in Christ, but but living in holiness and purity. And that's what we're going to be diving into today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Would you say that word with me, sanctified? Ready? One, two, three. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should do wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure. But God called us to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul is teaching the Gentile church to seek holiness and purity, and you have to understand for just a moment how countercultural this teaching was. As bad as I think like our culture is, it, it pales in comparison to the culture that Paul is speaking to right now. I mean, in this culture, you're talking about pagan temples that were dedicated to goddesses that had upwards of around a thousand prostitutes in these temples. And as an act of worship, you can imagine where I'm going with this. And yet, here's Paul, and he's talking about holiness and purity. And what we learn from this overlying message and how countercultural it is, is we ultimately learn this from Paul. We're called to live differently. You were never created to fit in. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't fit in. You were called to be different. You were called to live in a different manner. Paul says it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Hit the pause button. Do you know how countercultural it is right now, even this teaching right here where Paul says, learn to control yourself compared to culture that prides itself on being out of control? He says... He goes on to say, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Paul says, live by Jesus' standard of purity, not like the pagan culture that you're in. Christian liberalism, what gets me the most about Christian liberalism is like many symptoms of liberalism, not only is it a way apart from God, but Christian liberalism is often viewed as updated, progressive, and beneficial. 
So let me just hit the pause button. I've done this before, and I just want to bring us back to, to, to zero real quick. Can you honestly look at where we are as a culture right now and tell me that things are getting better? <laughs> like, honestly, can you look at culture right now and tell me that the policies and things that we're approving of as a nation and ultimately as a world, that these are progressive and beneficial to us? It amazes me that, that, that just a few weeks ago, I was, I was speaking to an individual, had the opportunity to have a conversation with a person who we're talking, and, and we start out this conversation, and they tell me, they're like, you know what, Pastor, just so you know, I'm not an atheist. Cool. He goes, I'm an agnostic. And I'm like, even better, I can work with that. So we start having this conversation, and this individual, you know, he He's telling me about his, his beliefs, and I always appreciate conversations like this. Again, I just enjoy sitting across the table from somebody who may, might not believe the same thing that I do. So we're sitting there, and we're talking about this, and, you know, this individual is like, you know, I do believe in a God, and, you know, I, I just had this, in the most loving way, just said, you know, I, I don't think that that's a defining factor in anybody's life. Muhammad believed in God. Hindus believe in many gods. That doesn't separate you from culture. What separates you from culture is the second that you start talking about Jesus. All of a sudden, people want you to be quiet. And so you start talking about Jesus, and ultimately you're compelled to live differently because he's the real deal. But we're having this conversation, and from this individual who had a completely different belief system from me, they looked at me, and he asked the question, what's going on in our world? And I'm like, well, do you have time? You know, I mean, and we start talking, but it just amazes me how many individuals, I even talk to atheists on a regular basis who are like, pastor, what's going on? Recognizing that what's happening in our world is not progress, it's regress. That it's not beneficial, that it's harmful. And so I'm led to this, what I believe is a logical Conclusion, if culture is not living in a beneficial way, if we are not progressing like we say that we are, then that only compels me and proves the point that I must live differently if I want to live in a better way. And friend, I want to ask you, and you don't have to, please don't answer out loud, but I want you to honestly chew on this for a moment. Here's a word that you don't hear in our culture very much, honor. And I want to ask you this question, and I, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, and I believe Scripture compels us to, question, to ask this question. Do you want to be a person of honor? Now, I want you to, chew, again, chew on this for a moment. When somebody describes you, do you value being a person of honor? Because right now, our culture only values people who are just as perverse as them. But I want to ask you, heart to heart, do you want to be a person of honor? You see, honor is when you walk into a room and you're respected. Honor is when your words are valued. And they're not just heard, but people are compelled to listen. You see, I've had the opportunity to sit in rooms where, with godly, honorable men and it's amazing to me how everybody tends to give an ear to the person of honor. 
And by the way, the reason why they're compelled to listen in is because those who are honorable tend to speak Scripture. Do you want to be a person of honor? Do you want to be a person who walks in holiness? Holiness is the ability to walk through life without guilt or shame. Holiness is the ability to walk in strength and confidence rather than weakness and fear over what you've done or said. The point is this, church, is Paul is trying to teach us that Jesus' way of living is always better than culture's. It always is. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. This isn't a sentence given to you. This is for your benefit. And I fear that we often as a church fail to see the benefit of holiness because we are too consumed with the temporary pleasure that unholiness offers. And we forget that immorality will always cost you more than what you're willing to pay and take you further than where you're willing to go. Recently also had a conversation with an individual, and I don't want to name any names. And normally this is the part where I name them, but I'm going to resist. Sitting with this wonderful brother in Christ, and they tell me their backstory, how they've come from a lifestyle that looks more like culture. And what was even more shocking to me was like who this individual has voted for in the past, but that's neither here nor there. And I'm talking to them, and I love their words when they talked about how Jesus got a hold of their life, and ultimately what really was a defining difference in their life was not just, it was Jesus with the Holy Spirit. And isn't that how it's supposed to be? And their words were so beautiful as they recognized the benefit of a holy set-apart life when they smiled and said, I didn't know that life could be this good. I didn't know that like this style of living could be so awesome. And my heart really feels for that because I, I remember, you see, Kylie and I ha- have, have made it our goal, not that we've always been successful, but to live differently. And, and I remember when we, were, when we were in our early 20s, and again, can I just be, be straight with you today. Can we just cut through some of the other stuff? And Right? Is that okay? We're in our early 20s, and you know what early 20-year-olds are known for. And so all of our friends on social media are, are just absolutely, I mean, drunkards. Every weekend, the amount of drinking that you do in college is just almost like unfathomable. And we're looking on, on social media and seeing our, our friends and those that we love and care about, even, even went to youth group with, and they've compromised. And they're waking up in a different bed every weekend, and we're looking at this lifestyle, and meanwhile, we're sitting back and, and we're getting ready to get married. And I just, I looked at my wife, and I remember saying, I thank God that I never had to give you a list of everyone that I've been with. And in that moment, I started to understand just how beautiful holiness and purity is. Fast forward a couple years, 
a couple years later, we're, we're, we're in our mid to late 20s, and the friends that we grew up with and those that we went to youth group with, they're, they're, they haven't grown up yet. And we're seeing on social media and having different conversations, and, and I remember people posting pictures of, of just, I mean, the most ridiculous things that you could find at a party, and I remember I'm, I'm sitting there getting ready to post a picture of my baby who's going to be born in a month, Cadence. And I remember at that moment just recognizing how sacred holiness and purity are. And the last example that I want to give, I, I remember sitting around the fire with my baby girl, baby girl on my left, my left side, and, and my wife on my right side. And it's one of those perfect, I mean, picture-perfect summer evenings. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You can smell these fresh smells of growth in the earth, right? The fire's crackling. I mean, it is like, right, Jack? Mwah. Mwah. Oh, mwah. The sun's going down. Life is good. And I check on social media, and I see how those that we grew up with and that we've loved in our lives as friends and seeing how they live, and it is anything but what I'm experiencing in this moment. It is a high that no drug can compare to. Friends, church members, parents, if you love your kids, you will teach them about purity and holiness. If you want the best for them so that they don't have to go through all the scars, the shame, and the guilt. And if that's a part of your past, and you're like, where does that leave me, pastor? My God's in the business of redeeming and restoring. He's working on all of us. Amen, church? The point is this. Jesus' way of living is always better than culture's. And I want to challenge the church to pursue God's way. His word is timeless. Amen? His ways are timeless. Live according to them, and you'll find out how much better his way is than culture's. A life that seeks holiness is a life that has come to the understanding of just how good a lifestyle sold out for Jesus really is. A life that has come to understand how good a life pursuing holiness is, is a lifestyle that has come to understand just how beautiful following Jesus is. The Christian life, I want to say this as well, based off of Scripture, we, are, we can learn this. The Christian life is not passive. There was a time in Christianity where we were taught that those who are really spiritual are pacifists, and that's just not biblical. You know, for pacifists, the disciples sure did a lot of shaking up. Jesus did a lot of shaking up. But also, the Christian life is also, hear me, church, it is not passive towards sin. It doesn't just let sin fly by, take its course, whatever it may be. And I've met, I've met too many parents, I've met even too many spouses that refer to their spouse and say, just let it run its course. I've met too many parents that their feelings towards their kids is, well, I remember when I was 16. Hold them to a better standard. 
Scripture says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is not passive also in the sense that purity and holiness don't just happen without effort. If you're waiting for purity and holiness to attain this until it's easy, friend, you're, you're, you're never going to experience it then. Purity and holiness takes effort. If you want to live in freedom, if you want to experience God's blessing on your life, if you want to experience his hand on your life, if you want to experience victory over depression, anxiety, substance abuse, if you want to experience victory over those actions and words that you speak that always don't lead you, that, or excuse me, that always lead you in living in regret and remorse. We've all been there. Have, has anybody else ever said something really stupid? One of the most beautiful things about the Holy Spirit is He doesn't just empower us to say things, He also empowers us to shut up. There have been so many moments in my life where I'm having a conversation and I feel like the Holy Spirit just says, you know, hey, Don, just shut shut up. And for those of you who are like, the Holy Spirit doesn't say that. Okay, King James Version, peace be still. And there's been so many moments where I just feel like the Holy Spirit's like, hey, shut your mouth. And I walk away from the conversation or whatever was happening, and typically Kylie's next to me, and she's like, why are you smiling? I'm like, because I shut up. (laughs) It worked. In order to keep my mouth shut, I had to submit to a higher authority. If you want to experience freedom in all these ways that we just discussed, then you have to recognize, church, I'm closing with this as the worship team makes their way to the platform. If you want to experience the freedom that we just described, then you have to recognize this. You have a responsibility to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want to say that one more time. If you want to experience purity and holiness... You have a responsibility to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That's on you. If you want to experience freedom and purity, and if you want to experience that moment where it's like there is no high in this world that can compare to sitting back when you're in the loving arms of Jesus and knowing that my life is heading in a direction that matters for and echoes in all eternity. If you want to experience that, then you have a responsibility to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And often we're too good at ignoring Him. We're too good at ignoring those promptings that say, where the Holy Spirit just tells us, hey, don't say that. Or the Holy Spirit tells us to say something. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, I know that you want to go do this for entertainment or whatever it be. Don't. In that moment, the responsibility isn't on God, and it isn't on your, it isn't your ability to blame your past. It's on you. You have a responsibility to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is a daily effort and commitment to the Holy Spirit saying, Lord, your way, not mine. 
Christian liberalism is often the result of those who refuse to submit to the active work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Holiness is God's will for our lives. Scripture says, therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul says, when you reject God's word, you're not rejecting my human words, you're rejecting God's standard and will. And often, church, when we hear a teaching about a lifestyle that seeks purity and holiness, we think that it's man-made legalism. The irony is, is that it's not. It's God speaking to the hearts of His church. A life that seeks holiness and purity is the antithesis to a Christian, or excuse me, to Christian liberalism. Seek a holy and pure life for Christ. This is God's will for your life. God's will is always perfect and always leads us in a better way. Amen? Amen. And until you recognize... And until you come to the point where you recognize that God's standard and way for living is better than yours, then I don't think that anything that we've talked about here this morning is going to make sense. Until you come to the conclusion and until you come to the place where you desire a better way of living, because ultimately, friend, again, I, I'm sorry if this, I say this with as much love as I possibly can. If you hear the words holiness and purity and your immediate brain says boring, then there's a perverse spirit in your life. If you don't see the benefit of living for Jesus, if you don't see the fact that you don't deal with the scars and the hurt and the trials like those who live apart from Christ deal with, if you don't see that, then nothing that I'm saying this morning is, is going to make sense. And if you're here today and you can think of some things that Christians do and other Christians don't do that are more of a gray area. Now, hear me out. I do not have enough time in this life to go over all the gray areas that a lot of Christians have. Is that fair? So today, I want to give a biblical principle that's going to give us a nice, a nice cozy blanket. Anybody else like cozy blanket? A nice just cozy blanket, okay? And here's the responsibility that you have. Do not take this biblical principle to the extreme of liberalism and legalism. We're going to stay in the middle. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 12. Paul says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in, idols, in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? I'm going to talk about this in a moment. So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. Now, hold on, Paul. We're talking about meat, man. I like my mission barbecue. 
Hallelujah. Jack likes his steak. And I, I want to I talk about, like, I want to break this down. What did Paul just say? Because, Pastor, I like me, and I hear you, brother, sister, in Christ. And what Paul's talking about is during this time, during this day and age, it was common practice for the pagans to offer meat to false idols. It was a part of their worship. After they worshiped, they would take this meat to the common market and sell it. Are we, are we all following this so far? Everybody still love Jesus? Hallelujah. They would sell this meat on the market, and there were many Christians out there who would say, to eat that meat is sinful. It was offered to an idol. The meat is demonic. No, it's not. I'll get there. Paul comes along, and Paul is like, yeah, I eat the meat that's offered to idols. There's no power in it. I have Jesus, the power source. So that meat over there, it's not going to affect me. It's not going to weigh me down. It's not going to hold me down. I'm not going to have a moral failure because I ate meat. Hallelujah. But then Paul so beautifully balances this out. And he says, but if I go and eat the meat, knowing that it's not going to impact me spiritually, but it causes someone who's an infant in Christ to go, hey, he's not just eating meat. He's participating in idol worship. I can worship idols too. Then Paul says, if that's the case, if I'm going to cause a brother or sister to stumble and have a moral failure in Christ because of my freedom in Christ, I'm not going to eat meat because it's not worth it. And I believe that this biblical principle could be like a soft blanket for our lives. And with this biblical principle, we learn these two final things. As you and I live for Christ, always, number one, protect your ability to witness to others. Does your lifestyle lead, lead to power in your testimony, or does it take away power from your testimony? When you and I are living for Christ, we must always protect our ability to witness to others, never compromise. As you and I live for Christ, we must always lead others in an empowering manner. So does your lifestyle strengthen others in Christ, or does it open up the door for someone else to have a moral failure? That's how you and I should measure our decisions, not hear me out, church, as we close and as you stand to your feet. We often measure our choices by strictly this. Is it sin or is it not? But the real question that we should be asking, does it impact my ability to witness? Ultimately, we should be asking this question, does it lead someone else to a moral failure? And if it has the possibility to lead somebody else into a moral failure, then you and I have a biblical responsibility to say, you know what? At this time, it's not worth it. I'm going to step away. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, may we be the body of Christ that seeks to find Jesus in the middle. May we not add to God's word our standards, and may we not abuse Jesus' grace as a license to live in sin. 
I pray that we would be intolerant of sin, just as you were. I pray that we would follow your ways and your commands out of love, not out of guilt, condemnation, sin, not out of thinking that we could ever attain salvation on our own. Thank the Lord Jesus has already done that for us. But God, may we follow your words, your ways, your commands, because we recognize that it brings you glory, that it's a better way, and ultimately may it be done out of love. Father, I pray for those who are here today and they've been stuck in legalism or liberalism. I pray that those heavy chains would fall off as they walk out of this place. May we follow you in all of your ways out of love and recognizing that it's better. And may guilt, condemnation, and shame fall off of us, we ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, And if you believe God's going to do something great, would you give him a shout of praise this morning, church? Amen, amen, amen. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.